We're not actually going to read a lot of in Revelation tonight because we may bounce around just a little bit. Because what I'm essentially trying to do here is I'm, I'm actually trying to wrap this study up of Revelation. Now it may take me a few more weeks to ever even get to that point. But I'm actually starting to wane on that. And so you'll see that I'm each week showing a kind of macro vision of Revelation. And I'm trying to paint a bigger picture so that you can start to try to swallow this whole thing. <laughs> it's been... No, I got it. I, thank you. Appreciate that. Dee's on it. She, she's not going to let this go. She is my reminder. I did. I put it going. It, I'll have like 20 minutes beforehand that I can edit out, but it's okay. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't trust myself either. So uh, we're, as we go through these big pictures, tonight I think is fun that it's Father's Day because a lot of this really points to our view of Father and our perspectives of Him because it plays out in the way that we interpret Revelation. The way that we see him is the way we'll see him in this book. And I thought that was kind of fun leading into it. And, and as we've come through, I've spoken about the, the seven-sealed scroll, right? We're sealed seven times by the Holy Spirit. And then we see the seven trumpets and the seven bowls that came after it. And I talked about how if you look at it from a Western uh, linear timeline it just doesn't make sense but when you see Jesus at the center of it all and that it is a unfolding of the one picture and that's Jesus inside of you bringing you into the glorification that he has for you and so all these are pictures and images and words of accommodation to help you see what it's like with Jesus inside of you perfecting you into his image into the bride of Christ and so the seals are the breaking forth of the revelation of him showing you this is what I want. And the trumpets are the announcing of the beginning of these things, of the uh, initiation. And the bowls is the completion of these things, of what his purposes are. And so this, is supposed, this book should encourage you and should bring you hope. And you should be really excited about it. But as we've been going through it, and the question that might be arise, was, and I, I almost don't like this term, but I'm going to say it, is what do we believe for the end? Which I actually really don't like that term, because everyone's just looking for the end of everything. Oh, well, when is this whole thing going to end? Well, I would much rather say is what is God's purpose and plan for this world and for us? You know, what, what is it that we, what are we looking for? Because, okay, if we look at these pictures and these images and, and this is Jesus inside of us, then is it, is it not, you know, the Antichrist rising up and everything gets terrible and the world falls apart and stars fall from the sky and, you know, locusts the size of Volkswagens? Or is it Jesus' purpose and plan is to complete what he did that, that was lost in the garden? Right? And so what, what, is our, what, is, what is it that we believe? What are we trying to understand? And what is it, you know, you might be trying to go, okay, you know, you might need some grounding. You might be like, but I'm losing everything. <laughs> everything that I grew up with, I'm losing it. Well, it's okay. But, and the problem is that what I see happening, as I talked about kind of before, is that our pictures 
And the way that we view God is the way that we are going to create our theology and even our eschatology, which is our belief of the end, right? Because I see patterns is that, okay, if, if fathers paint the picture of the way that we see father, then you look at generations of people of the way they've parented and the way they've been fathers and the way they've been mothers and the way they've been these things and we see these things, then I'll go, man, it's just obvious that these patterns and these interpretations come forth. Is that we see God as this God that we can't fully ever please, that we're never good enough for, and that he's really kind of mad at us and Jesus just gets in the way and keeps that wrath from us. But then the end comes and he finally gets to release that wrath on all the people that he's so mad at and then he just blows this place up because they ruined it. Right? And I, and I see these pictures and I go, man, it's just people have looked at God from the wrong perspective. But if we actually read the Bible and we actually say, God, who are you showing yourself to be? As we've learned that he is, his desire is always to show mercy, that he's for you, not against you, right? That he wants everything in your life to work out for your good. That doesn't mean that you won't go through troubles. You actually are promised those things. But he's, his promise is that he can turn all things to your benefit, right? And we see that Jesus was the perfect representation of who God was, so take that person that you saw in the four Gospels and use that person to interpret Revelation. Right? So we need to, what we believe about the end will directly relate to the way we live in the middle. Right? The way we see the end will, like, if, if, you just, if this whole thing's just going to burn, then it really doesn't matter what we do to it now. And essentially, I believe that revelation has been the weak link in the chain of our image of who God is. I believe that revelation has been the weak link in the chain of our view of who God is. Because we have taken, we see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see Acts and we go, yeah, Jesus came to reveal the Father. It says that Jesus was the mirror image of the Father. But then we get to Revelation and we take these pictures of an angry God and, and we paint it all that he's just trying to oh, kill these terrible people and blow this whole place up. And so for me, I don't know about y'all, but for me it's that I could read the whole Bible even the Old Testament, that doesn't get in my, that does, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, right? But then I get to Revelation and I go, what is God bipolar? You know, and it almost seems like, for me, it's the weak link in my view of who God is. But then as seeing God as the loving Father in us that sent his Son to come and live inside of our lives and to kill the flesh and the things that are, we were not created to be, but then to bring life and victory and overcomers forth, that, that is God who painted forth for us, right? So that is how I go, that's our picture of who God's supposed to be. And, and more importantly, what you need is vision, Right? You know, without vision, we perish. Without a vision and a plan, we don't know how to complete that thing. Think about this. You know, when, let's say, somebody's going to build a massive 
shopping complex or a giant building or a park or whatever it is. They're going to build a model so that you can see what it's going to be like. You know, you'll have a budget of millions of dollars and they'll spend 20, 30, 40,000 or more on just making a scale model of this thing, perfect to scale, everything exactly how it's going to look. And you might go, well, spend that $40,000 on the actual budget of building the thing. Well, you're not going to have any money unless you can give people vision of what you're trying to build. Right? Because there are some people that are visionaries. They see things. And they go, yeah, I'm going to build this thing. But a lot of time they have to get people who are builders, get people that uh, have money, get people able to do these things, right? Because everybody has a different purpose. And so in the same way of Revelation is that it's supposed to be giving us vision so that we know this is God's plan and this is what we're building and this is what we're going for. But if we have the wrong vision of that, well, we can just sit back and when we see all these bad things happening, that means Jesus is coming back soon. And we can just wait for everything to get terribly bad. And if we survive long enough, then Jesus will suck us up out of here and then blow the place up. Right? Obviously, I'm, you know, kind of just giving a funny picture of that. that. But essentially, right, if you have that picture, then what is your vision? And I propose to you that the church predominantly its vision isn't working. Think about it. If our vision, it, we need to assess the fruits of our vision. We need to stop and go, you know what? Okay, we've been doing this for a couple hundred years. I mean, the rapture idea is not terribly old, actually. Yeah, it's, it's pretty recent, but whatever. We need to actually look at our, our, the fruits of our vision. And if we actually look at the fruits of our vision, I'm sitting here going, they're not very good. I mean, are we just trying to build big churches with people that we can fill them up and feel really good about it? Or are we actually going for a goal of bringing a body of people sealed with the mind of Christ that are the bride of Christ that literally bring Jesus from heaven to earth because he's coming back to marry him. So for me, I'm going... We need vision. Because I think if you will get vision of where you're going and what Jesus has for us, then we'll actually be able to go, okay, I can make some steps and I can make some plans and we can actually begin to build this thing that Jesus is showing us to call forward. So vision is really important. And wrong vision, I think, has been terribly destructive. So, okay, what, what is it that has to happen, right? Everybody, that's such a Western question. We're such, we're such Westerners that we want to know one, two, three, ABC, all the things that can happen so we can figure out when it's all over, even though Jesus said, well, I don't know the, the time nor the hour. And we're over here trying to figure out time and hour and all this stuff. Anyways, but I will humor you a little bit. <laughs> is what is what are the first things what essentially what i'm saying is what is it that has to happen for the completion of god's plan for this world and this universe right what are there and there are some things that we can look at 
I can tell you what some of the things aren't that we don't really need to be looking for is we don't really need to be looking for things getting terribly worse and wars and famine and all these things because those have been here before and are going to be. We live in a fallen world, right? I mean, to be completely honest, if you really want to go read a history book, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> go read history. Go read about when uh, uh, George Whitfield and, and, and Wesley and, and uh, Charles Finney, go read about the world they were ministering in, and it's a walk in the park, <laughs> you know? But famines and wars and all these things, well, yes, those are going to be there. Yeah, things get bad. Yeah, that's part of it, okay? We live in this fallen world. That happens, right? But that is not what actually brings Jesus into this world, right? That's not what it is. Stop looking for the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a person who is not in the Bible. The spirit of Antichrist has already gone out into the world. If you deny Jesus that's come in the flesh, that's the spirit of Antichrist. It's Antichrist in the flesh, okay? Stop, you know, looking for, oh, this nation against this nation and uh, these things. But in reality is we know a couple of things. We know that the gospel has to go to every nation, every tongue, every people group, and every person, right? The, the, the whole gospel, the gospel of Yes, conviction of sin, but also the gospel of healing, of restoration, empowerment, and glorification, and the power, the resurrection power of Jesus. That has to go to every tongue, every people group, and every person, right? It's that, that's Jesus' plan. That's Jesus' purpose. So the sooner that gets done, the sooner he comes back, <laughs> right? We know that that has to happen. We know that Israel has to receive the gospel, that they see him who they have pierced, right? We understand some of these things. And you know what we're also promised? We're promised glory and a greater glory. Because his plan, he says, you will go glory unto glory. That means his goal is always for us to be walking in a greater measure, a greater experience, and a greater encounter of, encounter of his glory, so in the last days, as you call them, which we've been in the last days since Jesus rose from the grave, Peter said it when he quoted Joel. He said, it's been fulfilled in your time. In the last days, these things will happen. So we've been in the last days. But in the last days, we know that we will go to greater amounts of glory. We will experience these things. We know that we will uh, dream dreams and have visions and encounters and uh, the gifts of the Spirit. And we understand these things that they are part of his plan for the last days. Joel prophesied it. Peter said, it's happening right now. You see it? It's going on. But we know that we are supposed to encounter a greater measure of glory because we're always supposed to move in that. So the promise for the last days is that we will walk in greater glory, that we will walk in greater anointing, that we will walk in greater encounter, that we will walk in, and we will bring the gospel to the world. We know that those are promises for his plan. And you know what? I could go into depth of a bunch of other things. And, and we'll talk about some other things that actually will be fulfilled. We'll talk about that because there's actually a lot of things.
But essentially, I want to remind you that what was it in the garden? Adam and Eve, they walked with God and communed with Him. And they were commanded to be fruitful and to multiply and to multiply and to have dominion over the earth. Sin separated them from that intimacy with God, that walking with Him. And it separated them in, the, in their multiplication and dominion. So when Jesus comes, when He came back, you know, everyone's like, oh, He came back to save us from hell and so that we, you know, then we can end this whole thing. The, he didn't just throw away His plan for the universe. He was like, ah, oh, shucks, they messed it up. Or what if, it, in reality, he goes, no, I have a plan that Jesus is going to come and he is going to tear the veil and remove that veil so that they, we can walk together with them now in intimacy and communion and they can also have dominion and they will multiply the kingdom into this world. So until that purpose is complete, then his plan is not over. Right? That's what you should be looking for. That's what we should be seeking. I want to I read something in Revelation now. In Revelation chapter 8. It's right as the seventh seal is broken open. I'll actually just start in Revelation chapter 8, 1. But as we go down into... Uh, some of these later verses is what I really want to talk about. And it says, When the Lamb broke open the seventh seal, heaven fell silent for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and each was given a trumpet. Then the eighth angel, with a golden incense burner, came and took his place at the incense altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer up consisting of the prayers of God's holy people upon the altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the holy ones billowed up before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel filled the golden incense burner with coals of fire from the altar and hurled it onto the earth, releasing great peals of thunder, voices, lightning flashes, and earthquake. Now stop right there. What I want to talk about was this incense altar before the Lord. This eighth angel that comes is doing the duties of the high priest in the temple. He is the one that would come forth with the incense before God. Who is our high priest? It's Jesus. You know what's funny? I'll give you a little uh, tidbit here. The, the word for angel or messenger is the same word in the, in the Greek and the Hebrew. There's very few words that Greek and Hebrew both actually mean the same thing. But for angel or messenger, it's the same. So a lot of times when you see in Revelation when it says angel, we may be thinking about little flappy wing angel, but it may actually be a person. Just like it talked about the angels over the churches of the, uh, of the you know, Smyrna and Pergamum and all those, 
In reality, angels don't need to read letters to people, the, the leaders over those, the messengers to those churches, right? So there's actually a lot of instances in Revelation where it says angel that it could be understood as a messenger or as a person. And we see that right here, that it says angel, but this angel or messenger is actually the person of Jesus doing the high priest duties. And so what's so cool about this is that it, it's painting a picture for us. Now, this is right in the middle of Jesus saying, let me paint you a picture of what it's like when I'm bringing myself into completion and my glorification inside of you, right? And so that's the way we should understand it. But I want to take this just for a second and allow us to look at the picture and image that it's painting of how cool that is, is that we have Jesus standing before the throne of God and with the incense altar and the incense is our prayers, I think this is kind of important for us tonight as we've been talking about the beginning prayer time. I didn't plan this, but it works great. And, and I think it's so, I was just like reading it this week going, wow, that these incense is your prayers. And they're billowing up before God. Not a cute little, there's a little, there's a little smoke stream that smells really good. No, they're billowing before God. And I see that and I go, okay, if you want to look at, okay, what is the plan for God? What is, how do we end this thing? Or whatever it is, the wording you want to say, what is God's purpose and plan? Well, one of God's purposes and plan is that we, the church, the people of God, would fill the throne room with the incense, the sweet aroma of our prayers, that his presence and his power would be poured out on the earth. A tangible a tangible uh, occurrence that has to happen is that we bring forth and we partner with God's vision of bringing into this world through our prayers. Think about it. Think about the picture it's painting. It's not, or let's think about this. If there were no incense in the bowl, would Jesus throw it on the earth? Because he takes the coals and he mixes it. He takes the fiery sacrificial altar coals of fire and he mixes it with our prayers and he says, though that fire and burning power with their prayers is what I'm thrusting onto the earth to release into the realm. You see, this excites me because we are beings that we are here on earth, but it says that we are seated in heavenly realms or heavenly places, right? So simultaneously, you're seated here and you're also seated in heaven. Don't, explain, don't ask me to explain it because I don't know. <laughs> but it's what the word says, right? Spiritually, we are seated in heavenly places. And so that means when you go into prayer, you are in the flesh here, but in the spirit there, and your prayers are spiritual incense before God, and he takes spiritual incense and he mixes it with his fire, and he releases it into our physical world. For me, that's really cool, because I think about, wow, like, if you want to see the kingdom of God released into our physical world, you have to first go through the Spirit into his throne room and release the prayers of his kingdom. It has to happen there first. 
And so the picture is that they, these prayers are not, oh, there's not just a few prayers. There's not a little bit, but they're billowing up before God. That means it's filling the whole place with the smell and the incense and the aroma of these prayers. So it's not, God, you know, if you want to, if it's your will, go ahead and do something good. No, it is a sold-out people. It is a, a, a passionate people crying out, and they are filling that throne room with the incense of our cries for this world. That, that's all, you know, have you ever been in a place where it's filled with smoke? That's all you can smell. That's all you recognize. That's all there is. It's just, and these incense prayers are billowing up before God. And so he's going, that's all I hear. That's all I know. That's all I see. And I'm going to take those prayers. And I'm going to mix them with my fire. And Jesus is the one that can do this. And he goes, and I'm going to pour it out into their realm. That's pretty exciting to me. And so... The same way when we're praying for Kittyque and we're praying for our communities and we're, no matter where we're at is that our prayers billow up before God. And Jesus goes, yeah. He's not going to partner with our prayers if we go, you know, God, just that person made me really mad the other day and I really want you to smite them. <laughs> you know, I want you to go all Old Covenant on them, right? You know, or, oh man, I just... Lord, make their thing fail and make me go better. He's, no. He's going, no. When you pray from my kingdom perspective of releasing my kingdom into this earth, when you're crying out for mercy, because Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When we partner with that and go, yeah, God, pour out your mercy. Yeah, they don't deserve it. But pour out your spirit. Pour out your love. Bring forth your kingdom. Bring forth purification. Bring forth holiness. Essentially, what we see there of him pouring these things out is revival. Because it's purification. It's holiness. These, these thunders are the truth of God's word going out. The lightning is the power of his presence. The earthquakes is the shaking of the way of man. Right? And, what, and that's revival. If, you don't, if people don't come into a greater measure of purity and holiness, it's not revival. Right? And that, but that's what this is releasing, and that's what it, we're calling forth. And that's what Jesus wants to partner with and pour out into our world. So if you want to look for something to partner with, if you want to look at, well, what has to happen? Well, you know what? We need a body of people that understand our prayers have power, influence, and are important. And that we need a people that become serious about these things. That pertains to us a lot. And so that is one thing I want you to realize that you have a pivotal part in completing his plan for this world. You have a pivotal point. It's not about you just being a good person and trying to make it. It's about you joining in and partnering with what God is releasing into this world. I want to talk about just a few things that we can also look for that are really cool. Is 
we see little um, nuances, you might say, of the Feast of Tabernacles being fulfilled, which is really cool. Because the Feast of Tabernacles, let me just, in relation to some of the other ones, you know, you have Passover, and then 50 days later you have Pentecost, but then five months later you have Tabernacles, or people call it Sukkot, whichever one. The first Passover was fulfilled by Jesus, right? He is our Passover lamb. And he continues to be our fulfillment of Passover. It is, you know, unleavened bread, that there was no leaven in him, and the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world would be upon him, right? And then, you know, first fruits of they waved on the third day, they would rave the sheave of barley before God, and Jesus rose on that third day and was raised up before God. And then, 50 days later, you have Pentecost, which is first fruits. And we see the Holy Spirit coming into this world and bringing forth those first fruits. That's just, if you see the expression of Pentecost in the Bible, that's just the beginning. That's the first fruit. That's not the harvest. So your vision needs to get bigger. But then what's kind of interesting, and we almost see it through here, is that you can go from Passover, which is your sins removed, right into the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They're pretty close. But then, there's five months from the end of Passover to Tabernacles. Because that is in the fall. The the others are in the spring. And this is the harvest feast. It's one of the most joyful feasts out of all of the uh, feasts. And what's great about it is they build tabernacles, little coverings, to remember their time in the desert that they lived in tents and that God covered them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. And it was their coming into the promised land. It was their time of waiting, of coming into, and really they had 42 different stops on their way to the promised land. And you can study those and they're supposed to reveal a different uh, revelation of Jesus each time. But there was 42 different spots was just the fullness of Jesus, and then they came into the promised land. And and tabernacles or Sukkot, whatever you call it, is that celebration, and it's the harvest feast. And it's joyful, and it's exciting, and there's all sorts of different things they do, and it's really great. And we see, like in uh, Revelation was talking about the four horses and the four horsemen, when the black horse comes out, it says, you know, a measure of wheat and barley for a day's pay. And, but don't harm the, the wine and the oil, and the, uh, the vine and the tree producing wine and oil. And it's kind of interesting because the, the wheat and the barley speak of Passover as the wheat of being unleavened bread and uh, barley of being that, uh, the third day uh, waving the barley before the Lord. And so it's, it's like, oh, like, that's Passover. And then there's the, the don't harm or don't touch or don't disturb or don't, um, don't open yet the oil and the wine that it's not ready yet and then we see in um, Revelation 9 which it's continuing on in these trumpets and one of these trumpets that opens the great 
deep pit, which is a picture of the, the pit of the depths of man and the things that come out of it. And the locusts are coming out, and they're often a picture of uh, religious lies and, and uh, uh, whatever word it is I was trying to think of, deception. And so it's describing these locusts and all these things and what they bring with it. But what's so interesting is uh, it's talking about it's get, they had tails and stingers like scorpions, and it's all creating these pictures of uh, their destructive power. And it says, with power to injure, with power, listen to this, to injure people for five months. Locusts had a lifespan in the region of Israel for about five months. So there's five months from the last day of Passover to the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And also, Noah was in the ark on the floodwaters for five months. And so from Passover to Tabernacles is five months. And it's these little, these little hints throughout Revelation. You see these at different times of pointing to that Tabernacles has to be fulfilled because it wasn't fulfilled. That means there, ha- there is coming a great harvest, a celebration harvest that God wants to fulfill it. The same way he's f- fulfilled the others, he's not done until these are finished. But this one is the exciting, celebration, joy-filled harvest feast of God. And it keeps pointing out that there's going to be a time, a half a time and a time, that there's that we have to develop because the harvest is ready. The workers are getting themselves ready. Send the harvesters out because a great the harvest feast is coming. And so there's these little, these little hints of throughout it. And so, and the last thing I want to talk about is some of these little things that we see. There's all these little cues. We see the 144,000, right, which is Jesus multiplied in his people, are sealed with the mind of Christ. And we see that, you know, Jesus says, hold back the winds until, until my people are sealed with this seal, which is the mind of Christ, that they think like me, they have perspective of me, they have a revelation of who I am and who I am inside them. And then we see, yeah, we see these little hints of the feast has to be fulfilled, that there is coming a great harvest. And after the 144,000, we then see a group of people, innumerable, worshiping God before His throne. This a, a clothed in white that have been cleansed. And then also we see uh, later in Revelation, we see a woman clothed with the sun and the moon underneath her. The moon, being a representation of demonic power, is underneath her feet, that she has victory and power. And a lot of times, a woman is described as the church. And this church, this woman, is living with victory power, clothed with the sun. You don't have to imagine too much with that one what it's pointing to clothed with Jesus, living in victory. But what's funny is she's going to give birth to something. It says that she's going to give birth to a man-child and that he is going to rule with an iron rod over the earth. Is that the church 
Now, what if, what if this, and it's a virgin bride, and Paul refers to the church in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, he says, I want to present you to Christ as a virgin bride. That's what Paul said. And then we see this virgin who is pregnant, ready to give birth to something that's going to rule the earth. What did Jesus say? He says, you are going to rule as a king priest over this world. If you, he, he gave a promise to the church in his letters saying, if you'll come back to the, your first love, you will rule nations. And then we see this bride this virgin bride who has made herself pure and holy, ready, what if she's going to birth a generation of people that are going to live out, that are going to walk in power, that are going to walk in holiness, that are going to be the expression of Jesus into the world? They are the second coming, you might say, that they bring Jesus into this world, that they unmask Him. What if out of the thing that we've created, out of churchianity and all of these things, comes the, the church, makes herself ready, and out of us comes a great revival, a billion-soul revival that's been prophesied about by many different people. It's coming, and the, the great harvest is coming, and out of these people is going to come a generation that the world has never seen. They're going to have the seal, the mind of Christ on them. They're going to walk like Jesus. They're going to live like Jesus. They're going to do greater works than Jesus. And they're going to bring forth Jesus into this world. And from that comes the bride of Christ. That Jesus says, I'm ready to marry that. The equally yoked, the pure and the holy, the mighty and victorious. That's my bride. And so... These are just some of the few cues. Uh, I'm going to talk, move on later and talk about actually the bride. It talks specifically, an angel says, let me show you the bride. And let me show you the new Jerusalem, which we are described as the new Jerusalem, of what it's painting these pictures. And we see Jesus is the victorious Jesus. But I just wanted to give you a few of these cues, a few of these things that we see throughout Revelation is that we see this virgin bride. We see this generation coming out of out of this that are going to walk with the power and the anointing of Jesus. We see the Feast of Tabernacles will be fulfilled. We know that we're going into a greater glory. We know that we will walk in greater power, anointing, and holiness. We know that that is what Jesus has promised us. Will there be bad things? Yes, we live in a fallen world. Will we be persecuted? Yes, he promised that would happen. Right? But what we should be looking for is the joyful, excited, victorious overcomers. That no matter how much judgment is poured out on the earth, we see all through the Bible that even when judgment is poured out, there is pockets of mercy all the way. There's always mercy. God always takes care of. So even though there will be, yeah, there's problems, yeah, there's wars, yeah, there's things, but what if instead of us trying to survive those things, we are actually saying, wait, we are the solution to these things. What if, if we really are the unveiling of Jesus to this world, then we have solutions. Then we have, then there can be heavenly inspired 
solutions to problems and, and miraculous ability to bring forth the kingdom in this world, what if instead of trying to hide out these problems, we become the solution to them? You've got to change your perspective. And so stop looking for the bad, because it's going to be there, but start looking for the joyful, excited kingdom of God. That he says, in all things, you can do all things through Christ, and in everything you will become overcomers. So put that in your theology. So the question is, what is the vision that we're looking for? Right? I've given you a few things here, talked about some of these things, but I talked about that vision is so important to us. What is your vision? What is it that we are actually trying to accomplish? Well, our vision is not trying to survive and just make it. Our vision is that we are supposed to have a revelation of who Jesus is inside of us. We need to get sealed with the mind of Christ. We need to become the unveiling of Him. We need to bring the gospel into the whole world for the fullness of what it is supposed to be. We need to prepare ourselves and get ready because a great harvest is coming. Tabernacles is going to be fulfilled. A revival greater than we've ever seen will shake the world. So, are we trying to just build a church that can make it? Or are we actually trying to become the body and the bride that is pure, that is holy, that is glorified, that lives in victory, that has gone out into the world? Right? That she buys and she sells and she... And she uh, she, she buys and sells with the, her faith of buying and selling and saying, Jesus, I see that I need ISAV. I see that I need gold. I see that I need a clean robe. I see these things. And with faith, I'm able to receive these things. She goes out and lives her life as Jesus did. So when you see the church, you need to go, okay, how can we actually become that perfect representation What do I need to deal with inside of me? We can't just try to make it and be a good person on the outside and make it all just work. But in reality, we have to deal with the junk that is inside of us, the wrong lies, the wrong beliefs, the wrong habits, the wrong things, and realize that every place in our life, we can experience freedom and victory. And every place that we have not known the love of Jesus will be a place of bondage to us. Because every place has to come before Jesus. Every, we see these pictures that he's coming into your life for every part of you. So every thought, every feeling, every emotion, every deed, he wants all of it. And so he wants that to be dealt with. He wants to go to the deepest part of who you are. But he is going to bring forth Jesus in you. And I think that is our problem, is that we have tried to just be good enough to please God, but not be who Jesus created us to be to bring heaven into this earth. We've been, the church has been, just been trying to be good enough, and so we'll clean up our outward acts, but then we hide all this stuff in our closet. Sorry, that's not a pure and holy bride. But in reality, we have to deal with everything. And so we have to encourage each other and also help each other be purified of all the things of this world that is not of God. And so our vision, we're building a kingdom. 
He says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. So we're to walk with God in intimacy like we did in the garden. We are supposed to multiply and cover the earth with his glory. And we're supposed to rule and reign with dominion as a king-priest company. That we become the right-hand person of the right-hand people of God. That we become the revelation of Jesus' world. That's what we're trying to build. That's where we're actually trying to go. So when we pray for our communities, when we pray for our families, when we pray for these things, we are saying, Jesus, everything that is coming in between you being manifest and revealed through us and them and being able to show mercy and love to this world needs to fall. That is our goal. That is our purpose. So anything that is inside of me, any, any pride, any sin, any hate, all of it has to die. I have to lay it all down, Jesus, because that's not who you are. It's not in you and it can't be in me. And so there's so, so much more. But I believe that that is our vision. All the other things need to fall. Because I know that if you get that vision, you'll change the world everywhere you go, whether that's in your job or your home or whatever it is, no matter how small, no matter how big, when we begin in that way, it's how we'll see victory in everything, when that is our goal and our purpose, not the, all the other stuff that comes out. So there's that. We'll, we'll continue on, and I, I plan on finishing out the book and walking us through them. But that is really how you should, overreaching all of it, that's what we're supposed to go for. And I could rant and rave for hours, I'm sure, but I'm, I'm going to just stop myself. And uh, I will pray. And uh, Desiree, did you have a song that you wanted to end us off with, or what do you think? Yes? Okay. Well, let's just pray. I have to pray to end myself, or I'll just keep going for hours, right? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. I thank you that you are showing us freedom, that you're freeing us from performance, and that you're bringing us into a loving relationship with you, that you want to encounter us and touch us, that you want to know us and be with us, that you want to empower us and that you want to be revealed through us. Lord, I pray that it, these, these, this word, that we would not just hear it and believe it, but that we would become it. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would begin a work in every single one of us, that you would begin in us, that as we go into this time of prayer for our communities, that you would not allow us to have lies about you or others or ourselves, not to be bound in sin or in bondage, but in us praying for others that you would purify us and bring us into a greater relationship and a greater measure of holiness. That you would put us on a path of righteousness. And so, God, as we go out through the week, I just ask that you would anoint everybody, 
that your presence would be manifest upon them. God, I, I, I see that there is a great revival coming and that the manifest presence will be over people, that when they walk down the streets, people will recognize it and will come under that power, that we will walk and see and experience you in ways that we have never known, never seen, and that it's going to blow our socks off. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd begin to, to set our hearts on fire for this, that we would cry out for it, and that these prayers would billow up before you, and that you would pour your Spirit out in fire in accordance with our prayers. So God, touch every single person here. Wake them up at night with dreams that you're releasing to them. Give them encounters. Give them an awakening to your presence in a deeper measure. Let them hear your voice. God, we love you so very much. We thank you. Everything we do is because we love you. You are at the center of it all, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen.